journey through the book of Ephesians as I'm enjoying it as well. Today we're in verses 17 through 24. Next week, everything will come together as we end chapter 4. But uh, this, this hitch today is a very interesting hitch in the text. I pray you see my love for us. And uh, I've been wrestling with God, my wife. And my mother-in-law will tell you, I did not want to preach this sermon. I literally was, even this morning, at 4 o'clock in the morning, I rolled over. I said, God, let me just preach something old. I don't want want to do this. Pineapples, I really don't want to do this. But uh, we're going to do this today because I believe this will be really freeing today. Ephesians 4, verse 17 through 24. This is the word of the Lord. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility other translation could say the ignorance of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ, and you were taught in him accordance to the truth that is in Jesus You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Would you repeat after me? Just say, I will remember. You may be seated even in the presence of the Lord. I will remember. Let me ask a couple questions. How many of you remember MapQuest? Anybody remember MapQuest? Anybody remember? Anybody still go to AAA to get your get the map when you go on to? Okay, ain't no judgment. Um, when you use your phone, here's my question: How many of you use Waze on your phone for maps? There we go. That's that's the way. That's where Jesus is. How many of y'all use Android maps? I just want to see y'all Android users. That God, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. We're praying for you. I just had to see. I had to see how quickly it is. I don't know about you, but here's the thing about me. Um, so when I first moved here, uh, every Sunday I like going out for a drive uh, after worship at night before I go to bed. And uh, it was weird because my phone one day, it was like 7 o'clock at night, and I grabbed my phone, and my phone was like, you're going to Target. And I was like, what? How does my phone know me? Like, it just knows Justin's going to Target at 7 o'clock on Sunday night. Um, so anyway, I, I was getting up, and so my wife, when she came a couple months after I moved here, um, I was trying to impress her. Like, I know, I know where I'm going, right? And as a man, like, I don't want to use no map app. Like, I know where I can do it by memory. And so I was trying to show her this, this house that I saw and I was doing it by memory. And so I got in the car, and as I was driving, I think I missed my turn. But I couldn't let court know that I missed, I missed my turn. And I was going, and uh, I just knew, like, if I turn right a couple times, I think, I'm like, I don't know what this area is. But I can't let her know that I don't know where I'm at because I'm the expert. I've been here for a couple days, right? And uh, I forgot how to get there. My wife was like, where are we going? I was like, oh, yeah, we're just going to go see this. Where are we going? I don't, we just want to see. And I kept turning around trying to find it, and eventually we got there. But here's the thing. Because I didn't remember, because I didn't trust what was available to me, I made a very short journey a lot longer. Not remembering causes us to make things that are very simple difficult. Someone say Remember. Your past is a blueprint for your future. That's what Carter G. Woodson taught us. If you want to see where you're going, look at where you've been. Someone else say, remember. 
And I'm not trying to get you to harm yourself to remember all your failures and your negative thoughts. And I don't want to, every time we talk about remembrance, it's not every negative thing that happened, every negative thing, every bad mistake, all of that. But when you remember things, I want you to put in perspective this. You are literally living the life you prayed about 10 years ago. I really want you to put that in perspective. Like, as much as we get thrown away about remembering and remembering, so much scripture is God telling people that your freedom will come when you remember. Because church, spiritual forgetfulness has serious consequences. When we forget for too long, it doesn't end well. There are serious consequences to forgetting. So if you're remembering a failure, when you remember your life, when you see everything that God has done in your life, how God has worked in your life, I want you to gain this. When you think about failures in your life, mistakes, missteps in your life, I want you to consider this. If God continued to push you to where you are today, what wisdom did you gain from your failure? Like, let's really see this. There's a lesson learned in those moments. What wisdom did you gain? Like, what consequences did God protect you from? That's how you know what mercy is. Glory to God. What opportunities are you more careful about? What relationships are you more careful about today because of some moments that you didn't respect those places? I'm not asking you to live into your worst day. I want you to live into your best today because you learned your lesson yesterday. The same thing when it comes to your success. When we remember our success, I don't want you to remember your success arrogantly, but what wisdom did you gain from success? What did God remove from your life as God took you higher on the ladder of success? I'm not asking you to study nostalgia because I believe our worst enemy actually is nostalgia, but I want you to take from your best yesterday so you can have an even better tomorrow. One of the subtle tools of Satan is Satan distracting you so you don't remember. Two years ago, you dreamt about the life you live right now. Ten years ago, you dreamt about this. You prayed about this. Six months ago, you thought that storm was going to kill you, but look at you now. Two months ago, two weeks ago, Wednesday, you thought that that was the hardest moment of your life. And I say this all the time. If it was meant to kill you, it would have killed you. But look at you now. Remember. So don't just remember when it comes to your storms and your pain and frustration, but remember when it comes to celebration, honor, dignity, hope, and peace. Remember as it comes to you. We do a really good job of celebrating other people, but celebrate yourself by remembering. I'm anointed. I'm called. God has made a covenant with me. You got into college. Remember that feeling. You got the job. You worked so hard to lose the weight. You earned that promotion. I never want us to get so caught up in what's yet to come that we forget what God has done. We forget what God freed you from. We forget what God brought us over. We forget what God sustained. We forget what God maintained. We forget what God removed. We forget what God added. And every once in a while, the best shout you have is, I don't need a miracle, but God just gives me my memory because when I remember everything that God has done in my life, it doesn't take much for me to lift up my hands and tell God, thank you. But the way to mess up favor is forgetfulness. Hallelujah. But the way to maintain favor is remembering. 
There's a reason why Joshua chapter 4 is going to come on the screen. There's a reason why in Joshua chapter 4 that Joshua said after they came over the river Jordan, after they came out, after they came through, God told the people, God told the people of Israel, he said, look at Joshua 4, verse number 21. He said to the Israelites, in the future, will your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? He had them put an altar of 12 stones. He said, when you ever you get over as you're going forward, tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before and t- before you until you had crossed over. Your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us before we crossed over. He did this so the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord of the Lord your God. Church, there is power to remembering, but with the way that Satan begins to bite us is when we make the choice to forget. Spiritual forgetfulness has serious consequences, but remembering well leads to living well. There are three movements in this text. The first movement of the text is verses 17 through 19. Remembering is personal. Verses 20 through 24, remembering is theological. And next week, we'll get to the last part of the text, and remembering is practical. Remembering is personal, remembering is theological, and remembering is practical. So let's walk through the text. So what does it mean to remember? Remembering, number one, is personal. Verse 17 through 19, Paul says these words to us. What's the end goal of remembering? Paul says, don't walk like the Gentiles walk. Remember the word walk for Paul is the word live your life. The word Gentiles for Paul in this text was not the normal Gentiles that were part of the church, the converted Gentiles, but it was the non-believing Gentiles who lived in the city of Ephesus. These Gentiles are not believing saints. Another word for this word here is the world. So here's what Paul is saying. Remembering his personal why? Don't live like the world lives. How does the world live? I don't have to make it up. Look at verse number 19. Verse number 19 says they are greedy for impurity. Look what it says. They've lost sensitivity. They indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. Those who walk and live apart from God, the appetite for immorality will never be satisfied. The thirst for sin will never be quenched. Because sin, no matter how deep you are into impurity, It's worse tomorrow if you don't submit that sin to the feet of Jesus. Uninhibited lust and extreme selfishness is simply being greedy for impure things. And when you are disconnected from God, Paul says, every day and every week, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Look at the movement. It's going to come up on the screen. I want you to see the movement. This is what sin does. Sin, first of all, look at what it says. Paul says it first starts, the process of sin is the hardness of someone's heart. Your heart gets hardened to the gospel. Then it moves to the darkness of the mind. It moves to the death of the soul. And then it leads to a reckless life. Keep that up for a while. Hardness of heart, darkness of mind, death of the soul, and reckless life. The same thing Paul writes in Romans 1. I won't read it for you, but in Romans chapter 1. Here's why this is so important. Leave this process up because I want us to see this. The heart is the core of a person and the core of our being. It includes the activity of the mind and of the will, the hands and the head. So hear me when I say this. A hardened heart is a deliberate rejection of the will of God. It's a combination of two things. It's a combination of spiritual blindness 
and spiritual culpability. Spiritual blindness is the inability to understand, a desire, hear me, to not understand the truth of God's word. Spiritual culpability is the inability to then embrace the truth of God's word. Romans 1 and 18 puts it like this, hardened hearts suppress the truth. Another translation says hardened hearts reject the truth of the word of God. The idea here, church, is the more that truth is suppressed, the more we are unable to understand, and it leads to spiritual death. That's the dark death of the soul. We are separated from the life, a life with God. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 6, we preached this a couple weeks ago. That means when I'm apart from Christ, I'm dead. The word dead there that Paul was talking about is not just a partial death, it's whole death. It's face down on the bottom of the ocean, unable to do anything but stay dead. When I am disconnected from Jesus, I am face down on the bottom of the ocean with nothing to get me back to life. It's hardened hearts, darkness of the mind, death of the soul. And that leads to one last thing, Paul says, a reckless life. Reckless life in this text, the same word for calloused life. Those of you who've seen play golf or whatever it is for you, when you overwork your skin, that's when a callus comes in, and you lose feeling in that part of your skin. Paul says a reckless life is when you are numb to anything as it relates to Jesus. So because I don't have feeling or sensitivity when it comes to Jesus, I try to fill myself up with anything that gives me feeling externally. Glory to God. And verse 19 says, how do we fill ourselves up when I'm disconnected from Jesus, when I'm not sensitive to the will of God? I fill myself up with greedy, with impure things. So I, I have to see my sensations because I don't feel the glory of God. So I fill myself up with things that I can see. I fill myself up with money. I fill myself up with cars. I fill myself up with men. I fill myself up with women. I fill myself up with things around me. I got to do more. I'm constantly moving. You can't stay still because you've got to be seen because you can't feel his word because you're calloused to life. And what Paul is trying to tell us, church, that when I'm insensitive and not sensitive to the glory of God, to the truth of God's word, I then become, Paul says, enslaved to every kind of impurity and have an unquenchable lust for more sin. And let me say this very clearly too before I move on. This text was not written, remember church, Ephesians 1 verse 1, it was not written to the Gentiles who were non-believers. It was written to the saints. It was written to us. So why does Paul spend so much time? Why have we spent three weeks talking about sin? Because Paul is forcing us to remember where you were. Maybe the reason you're not accelerating on the path of life that you want to accelerate on is because just like me, you don't want to take time to remember. So when were we like this text? Before you met Jesus. Some of us yesterday. Some of us right now. Some of us two weeks ago. Some of us 20 years ago. Me, I was like this. You, yes, you were like this too. And we can act like we all got halos on and wings under our clothes this morning. But at the end of the day, all of us are sinners before just God. And if God ever want to give us the consequence, but thanks be unto God, the cross came into our lives and destroyed the penalty of sin. You can act like you're so holy right now, but every one of us, has found ourselves in a place where we, we were callous to the word of God. 
Every one of us have found ourselves in a place where we rejected the truth of the gospel. We gave ourselves over to sensuality. We were full of greed and greedy for impure, sensual lives. Before we met Jesus, I was numb to the truth of Jesus. And the lives we pick on now are the lives we're knowledgeable about. The reason you know what a $20 bag of weed looks like. Y'all can act weird if you want to. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery, the question I always ask is, how did they know where she was? Y'all can act funny if you want to. That's why we laugh at certain sins, because we used to do it well too. That's why we're frustrated at certain dances that you can't do anymore. You know why? Because you were doing the bump back in the 60s. I wish I had a witness here. That's the reason we talk about certain people now. Because you know the bar, the time, and the street to go down to practice certain sins. Y'all can act saved if you want to. You know what pride looks like because you used to be prideful. You know what arrogance looks like. You, But thanks be unto God. I wish I had a witness. I ain't trying to beat nobody up, but come here real quick. The reason you know what adultery looks like, you've been there. The reason you know what pride looks like, You've been there. The reason you know what infidelity looks like, you've been there. The reason you know where prostitutes are, you've been there. The reason you know where the pimps live, you've been there. The reason you know what being high looks like, you've been there. The reason you know what red eyes signify, you've been there. The reason you know what drunkenness looks like, you've been there. But thanks be unto God who giveth up. Am I talking to anybody who's an ex-something, an ex-prideful person, an ex-competitor who can thank God that the truth of God can reach you at your darkest hour. I don't ever want us to forget what God has done in our lives. Let's not forget Calvary. Let's not forget Gethsemane. Let's not forget all that God's done for me because everything in my life points to the truth that God still loves me. And so what Paul is saying here to Christians, not the sinners, to Christians, not the Gentiles. Paul is saying, you can be in church. You can know all the church speak, Jews and Gentiles, but your spiritual blindness is a conscious decision. You are consciously making yourself blind to the truth of the gospel. All right, I'll put it like this because I want people to understand I want y'all to understand. So what I'm doing consciously is not making fun of people who are blind, but this is what happens. When, think about if you were living your life blind. You wake up in the morning, everything is normal. You wake up and you say, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. You, you get out of bed. You kind of know how many steps it is to get from your bed to the bathroom. You get up, you go use the bathroom. Hope y'all wash y'all hands. I hope we got COVID. It ain't over yet. But get up, go to the bathroom. Spirit, but I know how many steps to get from my bed to the bathroom. I kind of can feel around for my toothbrush, brush my teeth, because um, I'm making a choice to be blind, but I can do it. I can do it. I'm all bad by myself. I'm I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T. Do you know what that means? I got my own stuff. I can do it by myself. I can take a shower. Hope you wash your legs. I can leap out of the bathroom. I know how many steps it takes to get to my kitchen. I know where the bacon is. I can make it. It was a little overcooked. I can't, I can't get rid of the grease because I don't want to touch it. I don't know where my sink is, but I, I can do enough. But here's the problem. I get to my car, and I can probably get out of my driveway because I've done it so many times. But the more I get away, I'm endangering myself, and I'm endangering others because I've made a conscious decision 
to be blind to the truth. Spiritual death has one goal, to keep your life apart from Jesus Christ. And James says in James chapter 2, a life apart from Christ is a life of sin that has one goal, death. A lot of us have come to church blind. You go to scripture blind. You always got to be the hero in scripture because I don't want to see the times where I'm the villain. I've always got to be the right one. I've got to be right in every single thing I say. And you're going around life blind endangering your life and endangering the lives of others. And Paul says, here's what Jesus does. Jesus says, take the blinders off. Why? Because I gave you new vision at Calvary. What areas of your life are you walking around? Some of you are in church today, blind to scripture. You're frustrated with me already in this sermon because I'm talking about sin. I wish this little Negro would stop talking about sin because I don't want to talk about what I don't, I don't want to talk about the scriptures I avoid reading. Some of us cannot read Old Testament scripture because you don't want to see the places where God is confronting your sin. Certain scriptures in Jesus' story you skip over. Certain stories, certain scriptures you don't want to read because you see your life in it. And God says the freedom comes when you take the blinders off. I want to be free in Jesus, not free into myself. Because being apart from Christ will kill you, not just in this life, but for eternity. You keep your blindfold on too long because it's your decision to keep it on. It will always result in a mess. And here's the thing I never want us to forget. At At one time in all of our lives in this room, we were walking around with a blindfold. And Paul writes to them and challenges all of us. Some of us profess that we follow Christ, some of us come to church, we serve in church, and we are numb to the truth of the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. So we use the age of a pastor to reject truth. He ain't lived long enough to tell me about this. I ain't scared of none of y'all. I really ain't. Mm, come here. I, I, may, I may get, mm, mm. We use the age of a pastor. We use the timing of service. We use past church leadership to reject the truth. We use whatever we can to find a way to say no to the truth in the gospel. Paul says what life looks like, walking around with a blindfold. There are miracles that we'll never experience because you don't want the truth of the scriptures of God. There are prophetic words that have been spoken over our lives that we'll never be able to receive because I don't like the truth of scripture. So you put your own spin on the gospel. What God is calling us is to have a prodigal son moment. The Bible says the prodigal son, he was in that hog pen. The text says when he saw himself. It's interesting. There was no mirror in the hog pen. When the prodigal son saw the pigs and saw that his life looked just like pigs in a pig pen, he said, I've got to go back home. Paul says, some of us are there right now. We've become more sensitive to our reputation, sensitive to what others think about us. Sensitive to strangers helping you go viral on social media. Sensitive to popularity that we are insensitive to the truth of the gospel. So Paul says, remembering is personal. This is where I was. This is where I am. But this is what God has done in my life. Paul says remembering is personal. Secondly, Paul says remembering is theological. Look at verses 20 through 24. It's not just personal, but it's also theological. When I remember well, it's my personal relationship with God, 
And when I remember well, it's also then me understanding God's relationship with all of us. Paul says, look it, this is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and you were taught about Christ, you were taught in regard to your former life to put it off, be made new, and then to put on a brand new self. Paul says, walk differently because you know better. Glory be to the Son of God. You know better. Why? Because that's what you were taught. I promise if you apply this, I know, I know, please, I, I just feel so many hardened hearts right now. Please, if you apply this, I mean nothing against anybody. I want to make it very clear. I'm just going to preach the gospel true and true. And I promise you, if you apply this in your life, the devil will not have his hands on your home and your money like he does. Paul says, for years, you were taught differently. Gentiles, you walked with Jesus. Paul is telling them, you know what you learned. And you made a conscious decision to live against what you learned. You, you made a decision to go against the gospel. And Paul is arguing when you do that, you're not harming the teacher. When you're doing that, you're harming the church, you're harming the community, and most of all, you're harming yourself. And Paul says, you know better. Why? Because you learned about Christ, you walked with Christ, you were taught Christ, and you know Christ. Paul says the, re the way you can fix the problems in your life is when you remember what you were already taught. You were taught something that the world taught you. You were taught about Jesus. Jesus literally 10 years before this was walking alongside you. Paul says you know too much about Jesus to be living a life against everything that Jesus has poured onto your life. Because here's the shot I have, your personal relationship with Christ. Because of the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection and the second coming of the Lord Jesus, Paul says, because you know better, live better. Because Jesus came for you, live differently. Because Jesus died for you, live differently. Because Jesus was resurrected for you, live differently. Because to know Christ means that I'm saved and being saved comes with immense responsibility. You know better. That's not what you were taught. You know better. That's not what you say back to him. Look what Paul says. Paul says, Jesus is the subject of my life. I learned Christ. Jesus is the teacher of my life. I know Christ. And Jesus is the context of my life. I was taught to live in Christ. Glory to God. And in a supernatural way, Paul says, if you have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus helps you to know Jesus because there is no truth apart from Jesus. And when I'm understanding Jesus, I grab a hold of the truth of Jesus and I'm saved in Jesus. And that's why no weapon formed against me, I wish I had a witness, is able to prosper. That's why I can step on scorpions. That's why I can speak those things that are not as though they already are. That's why I can trust the Lord and never doubt. That's why I can trust the Lord in all my ways and acknowledge him, and he'll direct my path. That's why I don't cry in the midnight hour because it's already worked out. That's why I can move mountains when I speak a word of faith. That's why I don't climb mountains. I move mountains. That's why I don't live into brokenness. I heal things that are broken. Why? Because when my life was disjointed, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. 
very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my, am I talking to anybody in the building who can give God glory? That love lifted you. Through Christ, I'm saved. And Paul says, because of that, here's what shouts, man, I'm done. Because of this, Paul says, you lay aside your old self. Glory be to the Son of God. And you put on your new self. It's so powerful. It's so powerful because um, I was reading this text, and the verbs there are very interesting. It's something more than taking clothes off tattered clothing and you put on new clothing but but that's not i didn't take it off when you read the text it's not you literally taking it off in the greek the text is saying here that we have a self that was marred glory to god by lust the world deceit and sin paul came back and put another he said we have this treasure in earthen vessels our earthly vessels have been tainted by sin. Hallelujah. Sinking into spiritual decay. But Paul says, because, glory to God, of communion and relationship with Jesus. Watch this. I like my messed up clothes. But Jesus came and he took off, glory to God, the clothes I wanted to keep on because Jesus knows what he put inside of me. Hallelujah. He took off, God, the sin that was on my life and he put on a brand new life. In essence, wow, glory to God, wow, we were yet sinners. I don't know where my full friend, I don't know what you waiting to shout on. I don't, I don't know. Christ I wish I had a witness. He literally stripped sin off of me. Okay, y'all acting so deep. Let me get deep with you too. It's literally the inversion of the Garden of Eden. Glory to God. When sin came into the world, hallelujah, um, they put on shame. They put on guilt. <laughs> they put on death. To a point where they came to God and they told God we're naked. And God's response was, who told you that you're naked? Because I had freedom in God. But I made a decision to put on shame. But then when Jesus came, Jesus came and stripped off, God, I wish I had a witness, everything that sin put on my life. And he put on everything that's going to connect me to him. So here's the principle. You ain't got to get right. Jesus already made you right. You ain't got to get together. Jesus already made you together. You ain't got to get right. Jesus made. You know that whole phrasing, get right church and let's go home? That's an old slave song. Y'all know that, right? And what that slave song was about, let me free some of us today. You don't have to get right, Jesus made you right. Because the oppressor told us and helped us write a song that said, get right, church. And what they were really saying here, get this, is that while we were having church that was led by individuals who were telling us we are nothing more than three-fifths of a person or we're a slave, they helped us write a song that said, we got to get right in the master's eyes so we can get to the master's house. Y'all, I'm not here to get right to please 
my oppressor. My oppressor is the one telling me I got to get right. So I'm going away from that foolish, erroneous doctrine. You ain't got to get right. Jesus died so you are right. Jesus died so you are covered. Jesus died so you are together. You ain't got to get good enough for Jesus. I, I was, we were all sinners in the eyes of God, but Jesus came and stripped us of the stain of sin. Woo! So the question I have for you is do you trust the finished work of Jesus? Oh my God. I know this is different, but let me tell you, do you trust that he made you right? Do you trust that he cleansed your heart? Do you trust that he cleansed your name? Do you trust that he cleared you of the consequences? Do you trust that the Lord is always going to be your shepherd? Do you trust the Lord is still the light of your salvation? Do you trust that he makes you lie down in green pastures? Do you trust that he always anoints your head with oil? Do you trust that he was died on Calvary's cross? Do you trust that he was resurrected from the grave? Do you trust that God's coming back one day? Do you trust that nothing that comes against you can kill you. Do you trust that mercy is all around you? Do you trust that peace is within you? Do you trust that grace is all around you? Do you trust the finished work of Jesus? Or do you trust your work more? If so, if you trust the finished work of Jesus, how long will you keep on what Jesus is trying to take off? Because you like walking around with shame. Oh, you like your prayers being coded in God, forgive me, and not trusting that I'm forgiven. You like walking around with guilt. Because guilt gives you attention from people that you don't even need attention from. Oh, you like, I ain't scared of none of y'all. You like walking around complaining about how your body is deteriorating. You, you like complaining about what's wrong in your life. You, do you trust what Jesus has accomplished? Or do you like the attention of keeping on what Jesus is trying to yank off of you? He's trying to steal shame from you, and you keep reminding him of what you did in the 80s. He's trying to steal guilt from you, and you keep trying to remind him of the sin you committed in 2022. You try, you, God's trying to steal that off of you, and you keep reminding him of how bad you are. But I wish I had some folk in the building. Today's the last day. I'm taking the power back because Jesus still got all power. I'm taking the power from guilt in my mind. I'm taking the power of shame on my body. I'm taking the power back in my life. I'm not going to walk around telling God how bad I am, but I'm going to thank God I've been washed, I've been saved, I've been cleansed, I've been water baptized, and I'm going to trust the finished work of Jesus. Jesus has finished the work of stripping the stain of sin. Do you trust that? Jesus took it off of you. Jesus did the hard work. And if you placed your trust in Jesus, you're already wearing new clothes. So now, are you going to add something beautiful to the new clothes you've been given? Or are you going to beg God to give you your old clothes back? We love talking about others' old clothes. Uh-huh. We love reminding people of what they did 25 years ago. We love reminding people 
because we haven't overcome ourselves. So I don't want to confront my own sin, so I'm going to remind you of your sin because I want you to live into what the stuff that Jesus has taken off of you. Yeah, they were in the club with you 20 years ago. And they deacons now. You know why? The same God that saved your bad weed is the same God that saved their bad weed. And the same God that restored your marriage is the same God that restored their minute. While our sins are like scarlet, Christ washed them whiter than snow. And he didn't stop washing you whiter than snow at your house. He went to the person you don't like too. How dare we? Remind other people of the stuff that Jesus washed away. How dare you remind yourself of the stuff that God washed off of you. What if you lived into the mercy God had available for you today? What if you lived into the grace that God has on your life today? What if you stop telling people what they did in 1990, God washed it away? What if you stop reminding yourself of what you did in 2010, God washed that thing away? And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away and all things have been, am I talking to new creations in the building that can thank God I've been saved? and washed and new in the eyesight of God. Paul puts it like this in Galatians 2 and 20. I'm in my seat. Paul says, I've been crucified, hallelujah, with Christ. So I'm no longer living. But Christ lives inside of me. I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. So Pastor Justin, if all of that is true, the question I get asked often, the question I ask myself, if all of that is true, why do I still sin? Can I go to Romans 7? I want you to see what Paul says. Go to Romans 7. Why do I still sin if Christ did all of that work for me? I don't want you to leave out of here just rejoicing with it. I want you to see the reality, and we call it the doctrine of humanity. The doctrine of humanity. I want you to free yourself, hear me, to be honest with yourself, but not to berate yourself. Christ died. Christ finished the work. But we are creatures of sin. Paul says it like this in Romans 7, verse 21. So I find this law at work, verse number 21. Although I want to do good, evil's right there. For in my inner being, I delight in the Lord's law. But I see another law at work too, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Verse 25, I want you to underline this and highlight this. But thanks be unto God. I'm going to say it again because this choir literally sang two songs on thanks. And we sat there and we're like, oh, my God, it's okay, Jesus. I'll tip you. Look what Paul says. Paul says, look at all that's in my life. And there's a war every single day going on in my mind. But who's delivering me? Thanks be unto God who delivers me through Jesus. So I myself am a slave to God's law. But my sin is a slave to the law of sin. Church. Sin is found 
and our flesh. Hear me, though. This is not an excuse to find new ways to sin. It is the knowledge of sin and the knowledge that I was made in the image of God. And whenever, what only thing sin does is try to distance you from the grace of God. And Paul says, that's the daily battle we fight. Every day we wake up and we are at war with sin. That's why the next scripture we get to next week, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but in strongholds and principalities and dark forces. That scripture is not a scripture to fight people. That scripture is the acknowledgement that every day I want to get closer to Jesus, but my flesh says I want to get closer to sin. And so I'm not wrestling with you. I'm wrestling with the fact that when I want to do good, evil is on every hand. And I wake up with two options. I have the option to get closer to Jesus, and I have the option to run further away from Jesus. And let me tell you this. I struggle with this too. So don't, don't get, I'm not putting myself on pedestal. In my flesh and in your flesh, we want distance from Jesus. But in my spirit, I want to get closer to Jesus. And there are days I win the battle, and there are days I lose the battle. When I gravitate to the sensibility of my own simple habits, here's a principle. You run to who you were when you don't remember who you are. I'm going to say it again because I want you to grab it. You know where you want to run to because you've been there before you met Jesus. And when you don't remember who you are, you run to who you were. That's how sin works. Sin ain't something brand new. Sin is something you haven't put away. Sin is something you haven't crucified on the altar. Sin is, you're running to something that you've already been in before you met Jesus. And so sin is me running to who I was instead of me remembering who I am. So let me remind you of who you are. We preached this weeks ago, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I am chosen. Hallelujah. I am enough. I am adopted into God's family. I am predestined for eternity. I am the elected of God. I am gifted by God. And I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's who you are. Because sin makes you run to who you were when you don't trust who you are. So let me ask you this question. What drives you to sin? And what are your old sinful habits? Where do you need accountability? And where do you need boundaries? What are the things in your life that cause you to question the truth of what God has already poured on your own life? In reflection on this text, there were things in my own life that came up. The amount of of self-hatred that I have for myself, I didn't realize how much I hated myself. There are times, y'all, I literally one day I counted in my journal a tally of how many times I've written down how much I hate myself. I don't like how I look. I need to do this. I'm sitting here telling everybody else, you're gifted of God, and I'm over here telling myself I hate what God made. 
Sin is not sex, drugs, and alcohol. Sin is comparison, arrogance, independence, self-hatred, hatred of others, and selfishness. Because sin causes you to run into the things you were. When I tried to destroy my own body thinking I was God because I lived into the truth of self-hatred and not the truth of what God said. Who are you? I'm worthy. I'm sealed. I'm chosen. I'm enough. I'm adopted. I'm predestined, I'm elected, and I'm gifted. Have we come, become so numb to the work of Christ? Has Christ become so common that his work makes us sensitive in other areas, but not sensitive to his truth? And that's why magicians and soothsayers are more impactful. That's why we have churches full of people who are emotional but are not thinking. Because we live into our emotions, but don't want the next steps to go forward. Every day, your biggest battle is not your coworkers. It's sin. So I'm finished. I'm not going to give too much time to this. But I want to, there's a sheet you were given as you walked in today. You can read it. I won't read it for you. But I was, I was wrestling with how to conclude this sermon. I had a whole ending. I was going to drop to E flat and do all this different type of stuff. But here's the thing. Your biggest battle is not your emotions. It's something I can tell you. Your biggest battle is overcoming sin. So here's what I want to do. I want to snap the devil's neck by showing you how you overcome sin. On the sheet you were given, you can take time to read through, but I gave you eight ways, eight steps, eight suggestive practical things to overcome sin. I told you, number one, diagnose sin severity. Sin's goal is death. And so when you've struggled with a sin for a long time, it's more difficult to kill it. Diagnose how severe that sin is. Number two, grasp sin's serious consequences. Sin is dangerous. The dangers that Paul lists here is hardness of heart, death of the mind, death of the soul, and reckless lives. Sin has serious consequences. And our biggest sin as Christians, the one that frustrates God the most, Ephesians 4, 25-30, is when we grieve the Holy Spirit. Be convinced of guilt. We understand guilt through the law and through the gospel, but meditate on the truth of guilt and understand what guilt can do and that God came for us to live a life of peace and grace, not a life constantly living in the contempt and pain of mercy. Desire to be delivered. I want to rest there. It's not just a matter of God. Desire to be delivered. Why is this so important? When you long for God, grace, the same way you long for sin, it shapes your life differently. Consider the relationship between sin and your natural temperament. Every single one of us has a different way to live life, which makes certain sins harder to kill. Let me be really clear. We have certain emotions and ways that we present ourselves that make certain sins more prone to just get us to be present and we make decisions to live into it. But when you know yourself and when you have accountability with that, you then can show where self-discipline is necessary and what to destroy in your life. Avoid occasions that incite sin. Avoid occasions that incite sin. Consider the people and the places in your life that make sin real easy for you to say yes to. Consider the people in your life that don't trust that you are actually who you say you are. Consider the places you go to that make sin comfortable around you. 
Consider the circumstances in your life. Is it loss? Is it grief? Is it success that caused you to be comfortable with different sin in your life? Number seven, address it at its first sign. You know, when I was doing some stuff at my work at my mom's house, there was a pipe in her kitchen that was leaking. It was just leaking. It was a little itty-bitty leak that was coming out of the pipe. And so we cut the water off. We put, we fixed the pipe and did it because I realized if I don't fix it at the leak, eventually that same water pressure is going to come, and the little leak that was leaking end up flooding the entire kitchen. What is the leak in your life that can come become a flood if we don't kill it now? I say this to couples that as they get married in marriage counseling, as they go into marriage counseling, what, marriage is a collision of two histories. And so what in your histories when they're colliding is leaking so that you can destroy that thing now? Where is trust not built so you can kill it now so that it doesn't show up 20 years from now? Or after your kids grow up and turn 18 and you don't know each other? Address it early before it becomes something you can't handle. And lastly, here's the main thing. Meditate on the glory of God. Sin can't have ground where glory is all around. I really want you to grab that. Sin cannot have ground when I'm welcoming and saying glory is all around. When you see the glory of God, you see the ugliness of sin, and one of them you want to keep, and the other you want to get away. So take the power back this week. Take the power back in your life. Take the power back in your faith walk. And spend more time this week meditating on the glory of God so that when sin comes or when sin shows itself, you can name it at its first sign and destroy it before it destroys you. Paul says all of that comes down to one thing. Remember where you were and remember where God has brought you to. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. When you consider your life, when you consider sin in your life, what sins are holding you hostage? What sins are holding you? What sins are distracting you? What tool is Satan using to keep you from being who God said you are? When life hits you, where do you run to? Who were you? By the power of God, the glory in your life, the glory of God, the grace of God that's even on this space, I pray that God gives you your memory. A memory to remember every single thing God has done. A memory to remember everything that God has called you to overcome. A memory to remember every single thing God has brought you through and over. God, I pray now in the strong name of Jesus for our memories, God. I pray, God, now in the name of Jesus that you give us the grace to remember. Remember all that you've said. God, remind us of the promises. Remind us of the lessons we've learned, the wisdom we've gained because of your word. God, I pray now in the strong name of the Son of God, that God, you, you summon back what we've forgotten so that we don't become worst versions of ourselves. So thank you 
for the lessons we learn. Thank you for the grace that's been given. Thank you for mercy. Glory to God. Thank you, God, not just that no one found out. Thank you, God, that you knew and covered us and protected us. Thank you, God, for the covenants that you've made with us. Thank you, God, that we know the truth of our lives and our stories. And yet you trust us with everything in our lives. Thank you. Now, God, as we go forward, I come against every trap that Satan would set for us to say that all of this is fake, all of this isn't real. I come against every apple, every proverbial apple that will be offered to your saints today. I come against every negative thought, every negative thing that will be offered to your saints. And by the power of the Son of God, I pray that we break the legs of Satan even right now. God, we snap his neck and authority that we've given him on our families and on our children. We snap the authority that Satan thinks he has over our schools and our churches. We snap the authority that Satan even believes he has over power, over success, and over our money. And right now, God, we remember that at the beginning of time, you broke his leg. So, God, I pray that you snap his neck. We take his, we take his hands and his we take his hands and his mouth off our marriages. We take his hands and his mouth off our jobs. We take his hand and his mouth, God, off of our families. And right now, God, we agree with your word that your glory does the work. So God, surround and drown our jobs with glory. Surround and drown our church with glory. Surround and drown our families with glory. Surround and drown our ministries with glory. And right now, God, as we stand, between time and eternity. I thank you, God, that you still have all power, that you, God, are the one who came against Satan in the first place. And God, we come against every place. We've given the devil a foothold. God, we slam the door on our shame. We slam the door on our guilt. We slam the door on our past. We slam the door over negative thoughts about ourselves. We slam the door, God, on comparison and competition. We come against the hand of arrogance and pride in our lives. We come against the authority that self-hatred and hatred of others in our lives. God, I come against what mom said to us. I come against what dad said to us. I come against the lies our teachers, our friends said to us. I come against the lies our former bosses said over us. And right now, God, in the name of Jesus, we agree with the truth of your word that has been spoken over us, that we have been, you've taken off our old selves and put on our new selves. So today, God, we're walking in our brand new clothing, trusting that you will lead us, God, into pathways full of righteousness and hope and love. And we thank you, God, that sin does not have the authority like your glory has in our lives. Thank you that your word is true. Your presence is real. And you don't know how to lie against it. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, if you're grateful for grace, take a moment and give God the best praise you've got.